This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, December 10th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village purchases Norwood property for affordable housing, a sports update with Finton Cole, Southwest Colorado sees high avalanche warning, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, the Telluride School District canceled school on Friday due to poor weather conditions. According to a statement from school superintendent John Pandolfo, roads in the Mountain Village and San Bernardo area were not safe for bus travel. He noted the decision to cancel school for the day was not made lightly, but necessary based on student safety. The town of Mountain Village has approved the purchase of a nearly 40-acre parcel of land in Norwood for the purpose of building affordable housing. The land sits on the south side of town between South Pine Street and County Road 42ZS. Earlier this year, the town entered into a contract to buy the land for $880,000. There are currently two rental properties on the land, a three-bedroom house and an apartment. John Miller, Mountain Village Community Housing Director, notes that while Mountain Village will own the property, the town plans to work with Norwood to determine the needs of the community when it comes to housing on the land. I guess there's a lot of feelings that maybe the East Enders are trying to push stuff down there. So we just wanted to make it um, fair. I agree that there hasn't been any specific determinations of what those unit allocations are going to be at this point. We intend to work through that. But We did want to make it clear that it's not just going to be for Mountain Village, that we'd like to work with the town of Norwood and potentially some of the town's employees there, as well as residents that might work and live in Norwood. Town Council unanimously passed a resolution to purchase the property. The town has not announced a timeline for building housing on the land. The next step is to annex, zone, and subdivide the property. That will take place earlier next year. You can't touch this. Boys middle school basketball is wrapped up for the season. While there was no school on Friday, Telluride High School's Finton Cole still brings us the latest. Speaking with basketball coach Yana Pollard. This is Vinton calling your sports update. The middle school basketball team won a bunch of games over the weekend and might be playoff eligible this year. Head coach Yana is here with us to talk about her latest games. Miss Yana, thank you so much for coming to the show with us today. How is your team doing? They are doing great. Uh, we actually finished our season 8-2, and two, and we got to host the Tournament of Champions this last weekend, and we won. We won the whole thing. Not only did we beat the league, but we won the tournament. What was your previous experience coaching a sports team? I've been coaching since I was about 18 years old. When I was on varsity for high school, we had to coach summer camps as part of being on the varsity team. When I went to college, I was a little too old to play D1, so actually Berkeley women's basketball team hired me for two years, and I got to be a part of an amazing coaching staff. We went to the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament, and I've always just been coaching. I coach neighborhood school kids um, and other sports as well, not just basketball. I love soccer, baseball, uh, frisbee, anything. Who would you say were some of your best players on the team? That's a really tough question. So um, for middle school basketball, we had over 45 kids show up, which was great. I love the passion and energy that we had. We had three different teams. Um, So for our A team, the team that went to the tournament, I would say everyone 
had great games. Different people had great games throughout the, the season. Um, but some of our top players, our starters, were uh, Gus Markley, Finn Nash, uh, Henry Patinos. Um, a player that improved so much was Quinn O'Neill. Um, he finished our tournament, I think, averaging over 10 points and a bunch of rebounds, which was amazing. Um, and also a shout-out to Jackson Ward and Shumway. Um, and I got to give a shout out to Langston, who was a captain as well and led our team. What, what did you say if your team made the tournament? Um, it was really hard to keep their energy kind of composed and everything. They got super psyched, um, which was great. Um, so my focus was just to get that energy and tell them to save it for the floor. Um, but I didn't have to tell them much. We did a lot of preparing. They ran a lot during practice. Um, and they knew that they knew what our goal was and they executed it very well. Thank you, Miss Yana, for the time to chat with us. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School and we'll see you next week. San Miguel County went from summer to winter in the blink of an eye. But the draw of a powder day also means avalanche danger. The Colorado Avalanche Information Center issued an avalanche warning for the Telluride region on Friday. KOTO News spoke with CAIC Director Ethan Green about current conditions. Ethan, thanks for talking with me and once again gracing the Koto Airwaves. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for the invitation and yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty amazing to see winter arrive with uh, with such gusto. It's a little bit late, but uh, we're happy to have it now that it's here. Definitely. On that note, it really does feel like we went from summer to winter in 24 hours. What is happening with the weather right now? Well, we had this um, large uh, kind of Pacific trough, this trough of low pressure come through. Um, had a lot of moisture, uh, a fair amount of cold air, as you're probably uh, feeling. And that was a, just a really big transition from what we've had over the last, well, really uh, for a while, but specifically over like the last month where, you know, the, the storm track was really uh, quite a bit north of us. Uh, I don't know if people have really been paying attention to the weather too much, but like British Columbia saw uh, some kind of once in a generation sort of precipitation events up there really pretty devastating. Uh, and we were high and dry, really, um, you know, getting a little bit of snow, but uh, for a while, not that much at all. And then finally, this storm broke down that ridge and came rolling through the central United States. And it's been a great thing for most of Colorado. I uh, just hope that uh, hope that pattern change continues. I don't want to I don't want to go back to high pressure anytime soon. The CAIC and National Weather are urging extreme caution with pretty severe avalanche conditions. What are the conditions for avalanche right now? And what is it about this storm that's making those avalanche conditions particularly worrisome? Sure. Well, we actually have fairly di different conditions across uh, different parts of the state. Uh, we do have an avalanche warning out today uh, for the sort of central core. If you, as you go sort of north-south in, in, uh, in the state from the Steamboat Flattops area down into our Aspen zone, Gunnison zone, and then both of the, the San Juan uh, zones. And uh, that's because those are the areas that got the heaviest snowfall. So, uh, you, you know, one to two feet, um, you, you know, maybe even pushing over two feet in, in some places uh, in those areas. And so that, you know, that rapid load, that uh, lots of snow in a short amount of time, 
um, is a really good recipe uh, for, for avalanches. And, and so we've seen some natural activity and we're seeing these aren't huge avalanches. These are mostly fairly small avalanches, uh, but they're certainly big enough to be a problem for a backcountry recreationalist if you're on skis or a snowmobile. And they're, they're pretty sensitive. They're pretty easy to, to trigger. Um, the reason that uh, we see that sensitivity, that easy to trigger, is because of the old snow that was sitting on the ground over the last month that just turned to, to weak faceted snow. And uh, so when this new snow is falling on the ground, uh, it's not nearly as big of an issue as when it's falling on that old snow. Um, that old snow is mostly confined to kind of north through northeast and east aspects near and above treeline. Um, but uh, in some places, we do have snow below treeline, and we saw a fair amount of uh, activity in those areas uh, just yesterday, which is why we went to high danger and an avalanche warning. When we're thinking about moving forward, looking at the snow we're getting now, how do you anticipate that snow will work with what will eventually fall on top of it? Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting to watch, um, which I guess is uh, you know why, why I'm in this business. Um, it's going to be kind of different depending on different parts of the state and then, uh, you know, certainly uh, different aspects, different uh, slope directions uh, in specific areas. So like in uh, the mountains around Telluride, um, you know, where there was bare, bare ground and the snow is falling on top of it, um, the avalanche danger is not going to be nearly as bad as places where it's falling on that old snow. And then what, what that layer does um, in the future really depends on what happens with the weather. So if we continue to put snow on top of it, and especially if we don't do it at a, uh, um, an astronomical rate, we have, you know, like lots of little storms on top of it. Um, some of those south facing slopes, those areas that were bare dirt uh, last week, um, those could end up being uh, relatively stable and having a, a lower avalanche danger. Um, the places that were harboring that old snow over the last month or so, um, they're going to continue to be a problem. And, um, you, you know, exactly how that it, you, we're at this sort of peak instability or maybe getting a little bit away from peak instability today. Um, but then how that manifests over the next week or so will really depend on uh, what the weather brings. As for now, what is terrain folks should be staying away from or staying really cautious of? Well, today we have an avalanche warning out, and so we are recommending that you avoid avalanche terrain. Um, there still may, may be some places you can go on uh, lower angle slopes, um, but uh, you should avoid avalanche terrain during avalanche warnings, and that includes the terrain that you're riding on, but also the, the terrain above you. Make sure that you're aware of, uh, of what's above you so you don't put yourself um, at risk. Um, you know, over the over the weekend, we're going to start to see the avalanche danger decrease a little bit, but we could be in some kind of tricky conditions, especially on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, again, those areas that had uh, old snow, those north facing slopes, especially uh, near and above treeline, um, they could still be places where it's pretty easy for a, a recreationalist to trigger an avalanche, and especially with the, the snow stopping and we, if we start to get some kind of, uh, you know, clearing and blue skies, uh, it's going to be really tempting to go out there and to, to jump into uh, some steeper terrain. And you just want to be really careful about doing that. Uh, again, if you choose wisely, there's probably some really nice places you can go, but you're going to have to be pretty careful about uh, your terrain selections, especially over this weekend. Ethan Green, director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. Remember, 
to check the avalanche forecast before you go out, go to colorado.gov avalanche. Uh, the most important thing is just to know what the avalanche conditions are so you can make a plan uh, that matches that. Um, and make sure if you're going into avalanche train to carry rescue equipment, that's an avalanche rescue transceiver, a propole, and a shovel. 16- and 17-year-olds are now eligible for a COVID booster shot. On Thursday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced the shift in eligibility and encouraged all those 16 and 17 to get the third dose six months after their first two. Currently, the Pfizer vaccine is the only vaccine authorized for younger people. Times, dates, and registration for a vaccine in San Miguel County are available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov coronavirus. As mountain towns across the West face skyrocketing housing prices and worker shortages, the city of Aspen decided on Wednesday to hit the pause button. Aspen Public Radio's Eleanor Bennett has more. Despite opposition from many in the real estate and development community, the Aspen City Council voted unanimously to temporarily halt most new residential development and new short-term rental permits. The moratorium will be in effect for at least six months. During that time, the city is going to come up with new regulations for development and vacation rentals. Aspen's community development director, Philip Sapino, says the affordable housing crisis isn't the only reason the city council voted in favor of the moratorium. I think it's important for the community to understand how innovative and groundbreaking it is for this council to choose to include environmental stewardship and climate action in their justification for the emergency and in their desire to take this pause. Sapino says the ordinance does grant an extension to those with valid short-term rental permits until September 30th. He says it also includes exemptions that allow most small-scale residential construction projects to continue as normal. The main focus of the residential development moratorium is on teardowns and major remodels. Eleanor Bennett, Aspen Public Radio News. Across the nation, almost half of tribal homes don't have steady access to clean drinking water. The Colorado River Basin is home to many of those, where families depend on bottled water trucked in from faraway cities. And even in the few communities that have seen substantive improvements, the road to getting clean water is lined with hurdles. KUNC's Alex Hager reports. Just outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, the city turns to desert in a matter of minutes. Office buildings and apartments give way to a dusty expanse of scrubby brush and beige plains. And here, just 30 minutes from a city with half a million people, you can't drink from kitchen faucets. Our water here, it comes out. Some days it's like the color of the sand here. Nora Morris was born and raised here in the Navajo community of Tohajale, New Mexico. Now she works at the senior center where clean water arrives by truck. To make sure that we're cooking with safe water and we're also utilizing water to sanitize our, you know, our pots and pans. That's the case for most of the 2,000 people who live here. Bottled water is brought in by the crate load from the Walmart in Albuquerque. But for bathing and cleaning, it's water from the city pipes. On our hair, it makes it hard. And then our skin is more drier. That's resident Rihanna Apachito. Sometimes it comes out orange, brown, black. They've had bad tap water here for decades. Mark Begay has operated the water system for more than 30 years. 
five of the six wells in town have collapsed or stopped running. So we're only dealing with one distribution well, so we're in a water crisis here in Tojile. But a fix is coming. As far as tribal communities with bad water go, Tohajile is one of the lucky ones. It's about to get a pipeline, connecting it to the same water system that feeds Albuquerque. From atop a hill, looking out towards the city, Begay points to where it'll run. And it's going to come that way and zigzag this way. Water is set to flow in 2023, about 17 years after the town and Albuquerque's water department agreed to the deal. Even with support from politicians and advocacy groups, getting clean water just hasn't been easy. The frustration has came from various different entities or different setbacks. Sherry Lynn Apache manages funding for projects in Tohajile. Whether if it was a grant funding, um, a property owner, um, land ownership, um, right-of-ways. One big hurdle came from a private developer who owned land in the planned path of the pipeline. And for a time, it seemed like it could stand in the way of getting clean water to Tohajile, but they finally struck an agreement in late 2020. It's it's kind of sh- terrifying to know, like, we did once upon a time own the majority of the lands, and why do we have such a a hard time regathering our land or the acreage of our land to move forward. And even with permission, there's still plenty of work that needs to be done. Once we receive the water, there's additional infrastructure that is needed within our community, additional funds that need to be provided, um, additional uh, pipings need to be upgraded from the asbestos pipings. And of course, all of this is expensive, especially for a community that struggles to fulfill the required matching for the grants it does receive or pay back money when it's been given as a loan. They've been able to get most of the way there with pandemic relief programs and the recently passed infrastructure bill. But Crystal Tuli Cordova says this is an issue that's playing out on Navajo land well beyond Tohajile and well beyond the timeline promised in the federal spending plans. She works as a hydrologist with the Navajo Nation Water Department. You think about the amount, you know, almost 40% of people that don't have running water. It's not going to take one um, infrastructure bill to address that, and it's not going to be able to be done by the end of 2024. Um, These are challenges that are wicked. She says the core of these problems is rooted in the history of how the West was built, all the way back to the earliest days of white settlers deciding who would have access to water. And when you look at the historical photos of, you know, the signing of different compacts, and what's visible there is that there was no presence of indigenous peoples participating, although they've occupied the the lands and used the water resources. And with climate change shrinking the supply in the Colorado River and disproportionately harming indigenous people, working to get them clean water is only getting more important. In Tohajale, New Mexico, I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of snow showers tonight with a low around zero. Wind chill values could be as low as negative 15. Saturday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high near freezing and a low around 15 degrees. Sunday, expect sunny skies. The high is in the mid-40s. Sunday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around 25. This has been the news for Friday, December 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. 
Hello everyone, I'm Carissa Milkey with EcoAction Partners, your local sustainability nonprofit. I'm here to tell you about free webinars we're having next week, F-R-E-E, free webinars that we are having on cold climate air source heat pumps. We are offering these webinars next Wednesday, December 15th, and there are multiple options for participation. Please come join us to learn about cold climate air source heat pumps and how they are an option for efficient heating and cooling in our climate. Some quick facts about cold climate air source heat pumps. The use of electric heat pumps reduces our greenhouse gas emissions and helps us reach regional and statewide climate goals. Advancements in heat pump technology now allow them to work efficiently in our cold climate. Installing a heat pump can make your home more comfortable and save you money on your utility bills. Air source heat pumps operate so efficiently, they are forecasted to be used for 50 to 80% of all new HVAC installations across the state by 2030. San Miguel Power Association offers incentives for air source heat pumps, such as $1,500 or more to a homeowner or builder per system, $250 to a trained contractor per installation, and in addition, if you build a new home that is 100% electric, you can receive a $750 rebate. More information, dates, and times are as follows. The morning session is from 8 to 9 a.m. on Wednesday, December 15th. This is an open discussion roundtable for mechanical contractors, designers, engineers, and other HVAC professionals. On December 15th, the same day, we're having two other webinars. The second is on at noon. And then the other is at 6 p.m. And these webinars are open to the public, and this includes homeowners, builders, architects, and designers as well. These webinars will include how air source heat pumps will help us meet state and local goals for energy use and greenhouse gas reduction. They will include information on technological, tech, <laughs> technological advancements of air source heat pumps in cold climates and equipment options for our climate. The webinars will include information on options for homes with forced air systems, such as furnaces, electric baseboard heat, and radiant heating systems. The webinars will include information on cost to operate comparisons at different outdoor temperatures, information on 2022 San Miguel Power Association rebates, and information on how to find a qualified contractor. Many thanks to our partners for these events, San Miguel Power Association and Tri-State Generation. For more information about these webinars and to register, please visit our website at ecoactionpartners.org. You can also email our energy specialist, Kim. Her email is kim at ecoactionpartners.org or call us at 970-728-1340. Please register in advance in order to receive webinar connection information prior to the event. And as always, thank you, Koto, for helping us spread the word about this event. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Cutto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.